How's your summer been? How's your summer? Uh, mine's been pretty good. It's been um, uh, great, like, getting to know people here. Um, uh, it's been hot weather, so uh, some good beach time, um, a lot of water play with my son Josh, and that's really fun. Um, uh, I used to grow up in Canada, so that's where the accent's from, just to clarify that. So um, having hot summers is, uh, is good. But it's not always good. For a lot of people, this has been a very difficult summer. Uh, with the fires across uh, South Australia in the Adelaide Hills just around the corner from here, many people from this community have been directly affected. Uh, fires uh, across New South Wales, Victoria, half of Kangaroo Island, over half, uh, has meant for an incredibly difficult, challenging summer. And uh, over this time, with, with these fires that, that seem unstoppable, it raises the question, is God able to protect us? Is God powerful enough to protect His people from things like fires? And it's not just, it's not just fires, there's other things that, that raise that question for us. Uh, illness, um, challenges and, and Per, you know, the rising hostility uh, in, that we see in the West. Uh, it might be, uh, you know, the global economy is uh, making everyone nervous. Global politics is making a lot of people nervous. And uh, all these different things that raise the question, is God able to protect His people? Is He able to do it? Will He do it? Does He do it? And so that's the question I want to explore today? That's the question I want to explore, and we will do it by looking at Psalm 91. Now, the, um, through January, we've been going through a series called Psalms for the Summer, um, and now the book of Psalms is a collection of songs of praise uh, written in the Old Testament times, so before Jesus was on the scene. Uh, if you were to open your Bible to the middle, I reckon eight times out of ten, you'll hit the Psalms. It's the big book kind of roughly in the middle there. Uh, and then you just flick forward or back to Psalm 91. Um, uh, the interesting thing about Psalms is that it addresses and acknowledges every human emotion. You know, a, a writer once said, if you wanted to get a really good uh, theology, a really robust theology, read Romans. If you wanted to get to know Jesus really well, read a gospel like John or Mark or Matthew or, or Luke. If you... <laughs> that's it. No. Uh, <laughs> can't play favorites. Um, But if you wanted to understand the human heart and how God engages with the human heart, the Psalms is the book to read. So that's the book we're going to look at to address this question, does God protect us? Now, before uh, before we dive in, um, I'm just going to outline um, where... uh, I'll just turn this on. Uh, where we're going, and also um, how I think the psalm is, is broken up. Um, now, the psalm is broken up into three stanzas. I say stanzas because they're like three verses, like a verse in the song, but then, of course, in the Bible, we refer to all the different sentences as verses. So I'm going to, just to save confusion, um, I'm going to refer to the different collection of lyrics, like we have in songs, as stanzas, and then refer to verses as verses. Uh, I got really mixed up with it this morning, and it was, it was um, funny, but we got through. So the first stanza is the psalmist shares from his personal experience. 
the second stanza is the psalmist addresses the reader directly. And the third stanza, God speaks. If you're a grammar nerd like me, one way of looking at this is that the stanza one is in first person, so, you know, I trust in God. The second stanza is second person, you should trust in God. And the third stanza is in the third person, so God says, trust in me. It's one way to think about it. And the goal of each stanza, every different stanza, is to convince us, the reader, that God does protect us when we find our refuge in Him. So that's the goal. Uh, let's read this psalm together. The, ver- the verses will be on, um, and the verses and the stanzas will be on the screen, um, uh, but you can follow along in your Bible. So let's read it together. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you you up in their hands so that you you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him because he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So a few years ago, uh, Emily and I were traveling in Sydney Uh, For my work, we went over for uh, a work conference I had, and we stayed a couple of days in the the CBD um, before this conference, and we went and visited um, some friends for dinner, and then uh, coming back to um, our hotel, we discovered something, a particular difference between Adelaide and Sydney uh, in the city. You see, it started raining uh, in, when we were there, as we were walking back, and what we discovered is, unlike Adelaide, where there's pergolas and patios and different things that you can, you can find shelter from the rain, in Sydney, there's nowhere you can hide. There's, there's nothing sticking out from buildings. There's no um, pergolas or, or, or anything like that. So we were stuck in the middle of the city with nowhere to go, uh, well, except for our hotel, uh, being drenched by the rain. It was bucketing. And so we had to hurry quickly back to our hotel, and when we finally got there, we were drenched, uh, we were wet, we were grumpy. Uh, but when we got in, we were able to, to rest, to dry off, uh, and to, to finally relax. And so 
that's the kind of imagery that the psalmist is drawing out, is that idea of shelter, of finding shelter from all the different troubles of challenges of, of storms that we might face. And the psalmist says that when, when those troubles, those st- storms come, who does he turn to? It's to the Lord. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The psalmist says that I, you know, this is him talking in the first person, talking from his story, his own experience. He says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now think of that language, refuge and fortress, for a second. It's referring to a safe place, a, you know, the unshakable defense. Now, if you think about it, in those ancient times, the fortress would be in the middle of the city, and then out, uh, out in the fields, so there'd be the farmers and the you know, agricultural workers outside the city, then, then there'll be the city walls, and then the, there'll be the marketplace and I know, other businesses and things like that, and then in the center is the fortress. And so when an enemy comes to attack, uh, you know, at, where do people flee? They don't flee out, but they flee in. They go in to find uh, refuge in the fortress, in the center of the city. And so, uh, eventually the enemy would come in. There'll be other defenses like um, uh, outposts and the walls and things like that. But as the enemy uh, comes in and slowly defeats the army and comes in closer and closer, they might uh, break through those outer defenses. But once they reach the fortress, they can't get through because this fortress is built to be impenetrable. Thick walls, tall walls, things that they can't get through. And so that's the imagery, that's the idea that the psalmist portraying that God is for us. That inside God, in God, we have a safe place. Anything else and everything else will fail us. But in God, we are safe. So when trouble comes, when the enemy attacks, if we seek our security in anything else, it will be overrun. So the psalmist is saying to, to, to us, the reader, from his own experience, God is the place we need to run to straight away. Where else would we go? What else might we rely on? I think sometimes uh, I'm certainly uh, vulnerable to think, to, to hang out in the fields a bit too long. Um, you know, when, when troubles come, I go, oh, I'll just rely on, um, you know, my, good, my great career to be able to protect me from financial room or give me sec- the security I need uh, to feel safe. Uh, but then, you know, in the world we live in, that's not secure with the, you know, recession, with the economy, the way it is. You know, we might lose our, our work and then, you know, the enemy advances. And so we go, okay, well, I'll just rely on my family to, to protect me, on my friends to, to keep me secure and rely on them to find my security. Uh, but as we, you know, put that pressure on them, that security relying on them, that, that pressure pushes us away and that falls through as well. So, you know, you, I might think, oh, well, now I'll just rely on my own personality, my own resilience and persistence to be able to persevere under you know, hard times. But even that wears down. And finally, when, when all the other defenses have fallen, uh, I'm, I might come to God and trust in Him, but that's not the way to get there. 
God is the place we should flee to straight away. God is our unmovable refuge and fortress. At any trouble or any hardship or any attack, He's the one that we should turn to straight away. And that's not to say that, the, that we don't have other defenses or that those other things are worthless or anything like that. But to, to put the pressure on those things to be our security is, is inevitably cruel to those things, to our families. If we find our security in our families, when that's, that's unhelpful pressure on our career. That's unhelpful reliance on God. God is the only one who can keep us truly safe. He's the only one. And that is why the psalmist says, He is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. And that's the first stanza, the first person uh, stanza, the first part. In the second stanza, oh, there's a fortress, by the way. In the second stanza, the psalmist speaks to the reader. So he's talking in second person. He addresses us, you, me, the reader. And he tells us what finding our refuge in God looks like. Finding refuge in God means God showing us His protection and His salvation. So firstly, looking at um, God showing us His protection. The psalmist says, He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart um, or buckler or it's another word variation on shield. Um, the, the imagery here is quite striking. So it's like um, uh, the, the feathers of an eagle covering over its babies to protect, um, to protect them from predators, from the weather, from other things. And so God surrounds us. He covers us. He protects us. And same as a shield uh, or, or rampart or buckler. And this, the kind of shield that the psalmist is referring to here is not a small buckler that you see on, uh, you know, on a medieval movies, but something really big. It's a big shield that soldiers would actually band together and make a line so that nothing could get through. And so the, the psalmist says is that God's faithfulness is our shield, that His promises to protect us and save us, cover us, surround us. There's no way that anything can get through those because there's no way that could stop God from keeping one of His promises. It is God who says, sorry, it's who God He says He is. Sorry, God is who He says He is. That's what I meant to say. God is who He says He is. He does what He says He does. And He promises to save and protect those who love Him. And the psalmist talks about uh, um, protection in another way. He, he talks of commanding angels to guard us in all of our ways. And so that might push us to think, well, hang on, if we've got angels guarding us, if, if God is protecting us, does that mean that we can just go and do whatever we want and live recklessly, recklessly and God will protect us and we'll be safe and we'll be fine? Well, the devil actually used that tactic uh, to tempt Jesus in the desert. And you might remember um, Jesus, after he was baptized, he went out into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. And the devil took him to a series of places to tempt him. And he took him to the top of a really tall building. And he said, uh, he said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. 
For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So the devil quotes our psalm to Jesus. But Jesus says to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So the, the way we're meant to read this is not, we can go do whatever we want. There's another meaning that the psalmist is referring to here. And what it does mean is that we are important to God. The imagery here is God's best angels, his best commanders, his best soldiers are sent to protect us, to serve us. Does anyone know what Air Force One is? Anyone? Yeah, so Air Force One, it's the... Um, the airplane and, and like really just the series of planes uh, that the President of the United States uses to travel around. All right? and, it, and it comes with all the Secret Service soldiers and, and all that as well. Now, imagine if, uh, maybe it's an interesting thing with the current president, but imagine if the president came here tonight and offered you a lift home in Air Force One. All right? That's pretty ludicrous, but also pretty amazing, pretty high, um, pretty special. Right? That's the kind of imagery here in the psalm. God commands His angels concerning us. His, his heavenly uh, guardsmen, His heavenly uh, agents to come and to protect us, His people whom He loves. And so that is how much God loves us. That is how much God cares for us. And so this also raises the question, does this mean that we're always going to be physically protected? That uh, no harm would ever come to any of us or anyone who trusts in Jesus? You know, what about all the times I've been sick or I've hurt myself or, um, you know, the increasing hostility we're seeing in the West or the fires that are consuming our nation or even worse than that, all the the thousands of Christians being killed in northern Africa and the Middle East and, and around the world, what about them? It Does God protect His people? Now, it's important to remember in the first instance, yes, yes, He does. God can and does protect His people in miraculous ways. Uh, there's thousands of stories of God's miraculous protection over His people. Uh, in, in my own life, my grandpa uh, lived in Holland um, during the Second World War. Uh, and he was, so they were captured by uh, Nazi Germany. And they, he was constricted to go um, to a, a labor camp uh, or to serve in the army, but against his will. And so uh, that was um, uh, life-threatening for him and something he didn't uh, want to do. But three times... He was miraculously saved from getting on the train to go, that went to the base camp. So the first time, uh, he actually hid from the soldiers searching his house. And, uh, and one of the soldiers came to, him, came to the wife during the search and said, next time you should hide his boots too. The second time, he, he, they found him and they took him to the line getting on the train and he passed by a bike uh, just sitting there. And so he just hopped on the bike and started riding away, waiting for a bullet to hit him in the back or something, or someone to stop him, but nothing ever happened, and he got away. The third day, sorry, the third time, 
uh, he was in the line again, and someone in the house, as he was passing by, suddenly opened the door and took him and two others into the house, said, quick, come in here. And he, was, he, was, um, he went in, and no one noticed, no one found him. And so, he, again, he was miraculously saved. You know, there's, there's hundreds of stories, and I'm sure many people here would, would have stories of their own or would know stories of where God miraculously intervening. Um, my predecessor, the, so the previous pastor of Hills Baptist, he's re- recently written a blog post of all the miraculous protection uh, around Australia from the fires. Uh, that's definitely worth checking out. Stories of God miraculously intervening and protecting His people. So we, we can be confident that God is able and God actually does protect His people. But of course, that's not always the case. That's not always the case. And it's not because God's forgotten about certain people or He likes some people, doesn't like others, or He's not powerful enough to protect them. When the first martyr died, uh, so the Apostle Stephen, as he was stoned uh, at the edge of the city, edge of Jerusalem, he he gazed into heaven and he, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it, it says in, in Acts, um, Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. God can and does protect his people physically. But if he doesn't and, and they are taken from us, they're taken to dwell with God in his eternal house, where nothing can touch them, nothing can harm them, nothing can take them from the presence of God. And so, when we put our trust in God, when we find our refuge in the stronghold of God, even when the outer defenses fail, uh, we're in the stronghold of God. He will protect us. So, we might lose our homes, We might lose our reputation. We might lose our friends or even family or our health. We might even lose our lives. But our soul, our core being, who we are, God is keeping safe. God will be with us forever. And we know this because the psalm is not just talking about physical protection, but also spiritual protection. Uh, There's nothing uh, more dangerous than the deceptive attacks of the devil. He is the serpent enticing us from God and uh, he's the devil who prowls like a lion, ready to devour us. Uh, The Bible uses those imagery to refer to the Bible a number of times. And so certainly on one level, when it talks about uh, we will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the lion and the serpent, It's saying that we will be safe from dangerous animals. But it's even more than that, that through the work of Jesus, we'll be victorious over the work of the devil. And because Christ was raised up and he dealt with sin and all that the devil could use to to guilt us, that we are protected from his attacks. So when the devil plants lies in our heads, like we don't need God, We can respond, no, I need him, because without him, I'm nothing. When the devil makes us feel guilty for our past or something we've done, we can say, no, my sin has been dealt with. I'm a child of God, and nothing can change that. We can never let guilt 
keep us from coming to God for forgiveness. That is Satan's greatest tool and most deceptive lie, that whatever we've done means we can't approach God. But that's not true. God is a God of grace and love and forgiveness, and we can always approach Him, always come to Him as our refuge and our fortress. So what do you fear? What keeps you up at night? Do you fear where this world is heading? Do you, do you fear losing uh, security or losing your reputation or losing someone you love? This psalm promises protection for God's people. Uh, but it doesn't pr- promise that he'll protect your prosperity or your popularity. The psalm says, promises that will, God will protect you. And we'll, we'll cover that a bit again soon. So God shows us his protection, but he also shows us his salvation. And we see how uh, the, so the psalmist does this by talking about pestilence and plague and disease. So he says, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. And he talks about a scenario where thousands fall to, to the plague, 10,000 at, right, at your right hand, but it will not come near you. So I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, the people around you are uh, sick and more and more people are getting sick, and you're just waiting till you get sick. I was on a youth camp uh, a few years ago, uh, Christian and Devra camp. There's about 200 kids. Um, actually, I wonder if anyone here was on that camp. And uh, there was an outbreak of gastro. Uh, we refer to it as Gastro Boy. Um, <laughs> gastro Boy's attacked. Um, and so uh, throughout camp, people started dropping like flies. Uh, getting sick and, and being quarantined and sent home and everyone's wondering who's going to be next. And every time I had a little rumble in my tummy, tummy I, you know, I was like, oh no, is that, should I read into that? Is something wrong with me? And so that is, you know, people falling to, to plague. Surely uh, that is not that bad considering other things uh, around the world. But that's the idea of of God protecting us from the plague. Now, this is not to say that we'll never be sick. I've been sick. I'm sure almost everyone here has been sick. Uh, if you haven't, you should um, tell me who your doctor is. Um, but what it is pointing to us to a bigger theme of salvation. So in the Bible, whenever plagues come up, uh, it represents God's judgment uh, to, to humanity's rejection of him. Uh, to rejection of him as their king or as their maker. And so, and it's always coupled with a call to repent. And so when the psalmist is talking here about thousands falling to the plague, the idea is that we don't focus on the thousands uh, falling and to the plague. We're to focus on the one being saved, that we are saved. And this is, this is, uh, a great reminder of the gospel, of the good news, that even though we have rejected God and deserve His judgment, God has saved us. God saves us. It, you know, there's the, um, the famous and, and widely memorized verse, John three sixteen. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Right? We need to remember that Christians are are no better place than anyone else. 
that in the sense that the whole world is in the same boat. We've all rejected God, and we all deserve to face judgment. We all deserve the plague. We all deserve death. But that's not where God left us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. The psalmist uh, shows us that we're saved from the plague. God rescues those who love Him. In the time of our greatest need, from the depths of the deepest pit, God saves us. He pulls us back. He makes us whole again. He establishes us as God's children, as His dearly beloved children. Now, there's, um, there's a lot of speculation about when this psalm was written. Uh, some people think it was written uh, by Moses because Psalm 90 was written by Moses. Uh, some people think it was written by David. Other people, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, and a lot of ink has been spilled over uh, when this psalm has been written. But I don't think it's really that important. Uh, I don't think, um, because the psalms are not to be read as history uh, or written to apply to a single moment, um, but they're written to be sung again and again and to apply to be applied again and again. So the Israelites could have sung this psalm during the Exodus when they were delivered from Egypt and when Egypt was stricken with plagues, but the Israelites were protected and saved. It could have been sung by the Israelites again in the desert when they're struck by a plague of snakes. Uh, And those who looked at the bronze snake that was lifted up in the center of camp were saved from the snake bites. They could have sung that song when they entered Jericho, when they entered the land that God had promised them. They could have sung it while on exile, after all of Israel was defeated, yet God preserved and protected uh, a remnant, a people, uh, to return later on. You know, the robber who was crucified next to Jesus and was guaranteed salvation from Jesus could have sung this psalm. Paul the Apostle could have sung it. Stephen, who I mentioned before when he was stoned, could have sung this psalm as he was looking up to heaven. You know, I can sing it. I can sing this psalm knowing that I've been saved and internally protected in Jesus. I've seen His salvation. And this is why we sing. This is why we gather to sing praise to God, to celebrate the fact that we are saved. We are His people He has done a great work in us. And so we've heard from the psalmist's own experience, his first-person account, that he trusts in God as refuge and fortress. And the psalmist has uh, addressed us, showing us that refuge in God means God showing us his protection and his salvation. And finally, in the final stanza, God speaks directly through the psalmist to us. God speaks. And it's really powerful, so I'm going to read it again. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation." And so in this last stanza, God unpacks for us what does it mean 
to dwell with God, to dwell in the shelter of the Most High that was referred to in verse 1. Now, our greatest need, our greatest need in life is our relationship with God. And praise God that it's not actually up to us to establish that relationship. We don't need to earn it. We don't need to do something to, to obtain this, re- this relation, to, to correct it. The work that Jesus did on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, the, to heal the brokenness in us, that is what restores our relationship with God. But that doesn't mean we're not active in this relationship. You know, when, when Emily and I uh, first met, we weren't both in love straight away. Emily's my wife, um, for those who don't know. Uh, I... I was smitten pretty much straight away. It took Emily a bit of time to catch up, uh, but eventually she got there. Um, all right, there was, a, there was a, a period where we were cultivating our relationship, that um, we were uh, growing in our um, you know, love for each other. You know, we'd spend time with each other, we'd get to know each other, we'd go on dates, we'd do things together. And even now, we're married, but we haven't stopped doing those things. We still... We're still learning about each other. We're still getting to know each other. We still spend time with each other. We still go out on dates and do things together. And that's because the relationship is established and, and secure, like we're married. Uh, but we both need to keep working to cultivate that love for each other. Uh, because we need to and we want to. And so it's the same with our relationship with God. Though it's secure in Christ, right? And how much more than, than our earthly marriage? It's secure because of what Jesus has done, not by what we've done. But we need to continually draw near to God because we need to do that and because we want to do that. So the psalmist speaks of the save, that those who dwell in his sanctuary, and he shares three ways uh, of dwelling in the shelter of the Most High from, from verse 14 to 16. And the first is our need to love God. The psalmist says, sorry, God says, because he loves me, I will rescue him. So do we love God? Do we love God? Do we get excited when we hear stories about what God has done? Do we get excited when we hear uh, about God's character, about who he is? You know, are we so filled with love for God that we can't help but tell other people about Him? You know, what do we need to do to cultivate that love? There's lots of things we could be doing. Uh, a couple of, couple of quick thoughts. Uh, one is to keep reading the Bible. And not reading it just for information, but reading it for relationship. To engage with God. Let Him speak to us. To spend time with Him in His Word. And so doing that, like, growing that relationship. And so, you know, do you have a time set aside every day to, to, un, to read the Bible, even just a little bit, to, to interact with God, to read maybe for five minutes and then praying in response, letting God speak to you into your situation, into your life. And so by doing that, growing in love for Him. Another thing we can do uh, to help each other love God is to, to share that love, uh, to, to tell each other stories about how God is working in our lives. And by doing that, showing to each other how great and awesome and majestic God is. 
You know, we can, as we gather together, we should sing together praises to God, declaring who He is and what He's done. And, and again, His character, His, His person. You know, there, there's so many things we can do to grow in our love uh, for God. And I encourage you to find more and more and, and keep growing in that. The second thing the psalmist says uh, to help each other, sorry, to, to dwell with God is to know God's name, right? The psalmist called us to, to know God, um, to understand who He is and what He's done. But it's not just knowing Him in the, in the idea of information, but acknowledging Him, acknowledging God. The psalm says, I will protect Him for He acknowledges me. And what he's referring to is, is showing that our allegiance lies with God, not with other things. And so when troubles come and we're worried about what are we going to lose, what are we going to, um, what's at risk here, our allegiance is with God and who He is and what He has for us uh, in that situation. The third thing uh, to dwell with God is to call on Him. Verse 15 says, He will call on me and I will answer him. You know, so where do you turn when, when things get tough? Uh, when life gets tough, when lots is happening, uh, when you're down and discouraged, uh, does that turn you away from God? Or does it turn you towards God? Uh, this is always, it's always important to make prayer a habit because there's so many things in our lives that pull us away from God, that distract us, or that offer, you know, temporary uh, what look like better solutions, but they're not. Other things that might, you know, say they could protect us or offer something better or offer a solution, but actually drawing us away from prayer and calling upon God and returning to our refuge and fortress. And so, prayer is such an important part of being a Christian, of dwelling with God and relying on Him, on inviting Him into our lives to actually act and do things to be active in our lives. And so, uh, and it's not just individually, but as a group as well. I mentioned before, uh, there's a time after this sermon in the front to pray, like use that. Uh, in our life groups, you know, you can share what's going on in our lives and together as a community, you can invite God to, to intervene, to do something. You know, with the people sitting next to you, people around you, your families, uh, your friends, prayer is a powerful thing to call upon God, to call on God and knowing that He will answer. Now, with all these things, loving, knowing, calling, the key to remember is that it's, the, sorry, the, the key to it is knowing that it's not us who did it first, but Him. So the key to loving God is knowing that He first loved us. The key to knowing God is to know that He first knew us by name. The key to calling upon God is knowing that He is the one who called us to Himself. And so the promise that the psalmist offers, that God offers, is that He will satisfy us with long life and show us His salvation. God doesn't promise us wealth or, or a great house or uh, heaps of friends, or prosperity, or popularity, but He promises us life, that He will protect our lives. And ultimately, 
That's long life. That's eternal life with Him. We've already talked about this, that what God offers us is eternal life, a place with Him in His kingdom forever, in His fortress that cannot be moved or taken away. God doesn't promise to keep us prosperous and popular. What He promises is so much better. He promises us life and salvation. And so wrapping up, when I was young, I, uh, I used to have pretty bad nightmares, and I remember some of them quite vividly. Um, there's one, I remember it, so it must have been fairly reoccurring, where we were in our second-story house in Canada, and um, a vampire, of all things, was trying to get through the window and attack me, and my bed was right next to the window. And so, particularly for a young child, that was terrifying for me. Uh, these were the, the fears of the night that were consuming me, and I would wake up um, crying out. And um, I only learned this rec- recently, in the last uh, couple of years, that my mum used to come in and comfort me by reading Psalm 91, reading this very psalm to show me that, uh, that God is protecting me, that nothing can harm me because I, if I trust in God, I'm in His refuge and fortress. And so from this psalm and from God's work and God's work in my life, I've become convinced uh, that not only does God protect, He's the only one who can truly protect us. So going back to that question at the start, can God protect? Does God protect? Well, yes, God does. And He's the only one who truly can. It doesn't always feel like that, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It is true. It is always true. The psalmist points us to trust in God, to trust the life we have in Jesus. And so whatever happens, whatever we might face, whatever comes against us, will we seek refuge in Jesus or in other things that will pass away? Because only Jesus can truly protect us. Let's pray as the band comes back up. God, we thank you so much for this psalm. And for whoever wrote it, and for all the different times it's been sung and recited and shared and used to encourage people like me um, and others here. And God, we pray that, uh, that you, would, you would draw us to yourself, that you would help us to seek you, to dwell in, in your shelter, in the shelter of the Almighty. That you would uh, help us to love you more, to, to acknowledge you at every turn, and to call upon you whenever we need, every time we need. And God, this is hard, and there's so many things pulling us away or offering us alternatives. But in all this noise and all this confusion, God, we pray that you would, would shine through, you would cut through that, cut straight to our hearts, Lord, and draw us to you. And God, we don't know what's going to come our way We don't know uh, what challenges we will face, but God, we do know that we are secure in you, that you have promised us long life and you've promised us to show us your salvation. And we have seen that, God, in Jesus. So we thank you for that and praise you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.